0: burn in return. A weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. What's going on everybody? Welcome to another episode of burning return i'm going to be your host my name is matt sometimes i go by the grass factor went on the old dude too uh martin would be the last name and alongside of me we have two ultra ultra fine gentlemen that would be mr demay and mr ito fellas how the hell are y'all doing on this lovely sunday
1: I i have a question for you when do we cut across the time space continuum and go from the dude tube to the boob tube. At what point
2: does that take place, Ray? <laughs> no idea. No idea.
0: <laughs> uh, the answer is 10 p.m. The answer I, is 10 p.m.
1: I was going to say either 10 p.m. or sometime between the ages of 14 and 17 if you're a male. But either way. <laughs> <laughs> to get back it doesn't to our conversation one
0: the fact of the matter is, is that however you spin it, it does become the boob tube at some point. There's no other way around it. I I think it's a rite of passage in all shape, forms, or fashion. Uh, gentlemen, I have to ask, how the hell was y'all's week?
1: Well, oh, listen, I got a lot done. I can't speak for y'all, but I, I, I think that's why this is so fun to uh, record when we do. And if you want to participate... In our live recordings, which we do on Sunday nights, these are held, you know, usually around 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday night, and uh, you can get in on that if you go to wwwpatreoncom return, Right? Look at that. Very, very affordable, folks. Very affordable. No matter what tax income bracket you're in, right? What level you want to participate? It's a good time to get in and do this live because, really, I think Ray this is our time to sort of cut loose from the week that was and get ready for the week that's coming up.
2: Absolutely.
1: And the big thing is, is that
0: when we get to 69 patrons, uh, oh, we're going to start yeah. hosting movie night so I can become a, uh, an integrated member of society. And I do not look forward to, it. Uh, I have resided on my, my space outside of the the planet for quite a while. And the, thought of having to be introduced back into native society freaks me out i'm not gonna lie but uh you know all good things must come to an end and uh you know who knows we'll see how it, how it all plays out but the fact of the matter is is that we are going to uh to reintegrate me back into society at the and when we reach 69 patrons and uh nice gentlemen let's go ahead <laughs> and i, w- I want to preface this i want to preface this we're gonna go heavy on the headlines on this episode because we've got so many headlines to cover uh we've got a lot of different things taking place in the world right now and especially um in lieu of uh, we've got potential war about to break out in eastern europe <laughs> um we've got inflation for days here at home it's i mean it's crazy i mean it just it couldn't be any crazier than it is right now i i believe and you know i'm look, not laughing. At I'm, Ukraine. I'm laughing with Ukraine, but go on. No, here, here, Here's the thing is that a lot of times I feel like a, a lot of the stuff in media is spun up to get to get me wound up. Here's the thing is I'm flat out wound up. I am wound up like a. am t- so wound up right now. I've lost my voice because I've been screaming about this all weekend Every, every moment I get to talk to my wife, I'm screaming at her about about something related oh, to the world. Man. I'm just kidding. That is not true at all. The no. the, the last thing she and I talk about are uh, uh, geopolitical issues in the world, I promise. Uh, we've actually been screaming about the results of the Olympics because, uh, you know, never mind. Gentlemen, let's jump into this week's headlines. How about that? Yeah. The and the news says the high crime in Afghanistan the police have unpacked this week is, would y'all believe it or not, they were smuggling urea. Machko police on <laughs> Tuesday foiled the bid to smuggle urea fertilizer to Afghanistan and driver of the coach in Karachi. RE News reported, according to senior superintendent of police, Kamar Fida Hussein Johnri, the Machko police during checking of a passenger coach found 150 bags of urea being illegally smuggled to Afghanistan via Balachistan. Uh, now, I don't know a whole lot about this area of the world because, you know, I'm American and, and pretty much secluded and jaded from all things that take place in the Middle East. But let me tell you right now, when smuggling 150 bags of urea, so we're talking about three and a half pallets, uh, makes the news. That tells me whatever's going on over there ain't freaking good. When you are, listen, boys, let me tell you right now, if we are ever so hard up in the United States that the police are cracking down on us for smuggling 150 bags of urea, we are near the end of times. It is a bad, 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 bad situation. I mean, at this point, that's what I would come to expect from, like, you know, Canadian police. Not necessarily from. I'm gonna get kicked off the internet for that. Not necessarily (laughs) Afghani police,
2: Um,
0: but still crazy. I, I don't, I don't. (laughs) Sorry, Demay. I didn't mean to. Demay, be the voice of reason here. Talk to me. Oh. How bad is it when you're having to smuggle a, a few tons of urea just to try and, and feed your family?
1: You know, I don't, it, it's an, is it an isolated case? I have no idea. They don't give you a whole lot of context. It's just that, you know, they talk about in the article, and, you know, we know from, from studying this stuff that Pakistan's producing a ton, right, of uh, urea day in and day out that's supposed to sustain Afghanistan that's what they say, but then you have stuff like this taking place, and it's got to make you wonder a little bit of what is going on, right? What is really going on in the background? And I think, you know, it, I don't like to be tinfoil hat. You know me, Ray. But yeah, at the uh-huh. same time, there's a lot of stuff like this where it's where you have government officials and, like we said, Sri Lanka, there has been, what, uh, six or seven Ag ministers in the last, you know, 13 months, 14 months, mm-hmm. it begs the question of, is what is being said outwardly really what is going on, right? Are we are we headed for some type of like, you know, uh, American housing crisis a la 2008 type stuff towards a cliff with fertilizer? And I, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on in other parts of the world, right, with respect to other sources of uh NPK but man it is concerning when there's something like this popping up on the news right this this should be in the local police blotter this shouldn't necessarily be making international news but here we are
2: well i i, I understand something in that basically afghanistan has deteriorated uh, substantially socially ever since the US troop withdrawal. Ever since Afghanistan was handed back to local control, all manner of things have hit the fan there. I mean, fertilizer smuggling is just a a small symptom of it. It's uh, this is just the tip of what's actually going on. I mean, there's stuff that if we actually knew and understood what was going on we'd be legitimately horrified
0: i i'm i can't even imagine and that's why i'm going to pre- you know not even pretend like i understand a fraction of what goes on in that part of the world uh, but you know we saw in um uh, in india people were trampled to death uh fighting for dap yeah and now we see people going to jail for smuggling uh, hundred and fifty bags of 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 urea and it just <laughs> i mean i don't i don't know count your blessings we live where we live because uh that is not a good sign and hopefully um it gets remedied for their sake because if it doesn't um and, and people don't have access to fertilizer that means people don't have access to food and um i don't know about y'all but in my opinion one of the worst ways to die would have to be starving oh. to death oh. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, people yeah, talk other, about yeah. drowning and burning to death. Starvation would just be a slow, torturous 30-day of, of of just wonderment of uh, just horrific, <laughs> absolutely horrific. Um,
2: because the reality is, is that the collapse in Afghanistan of government has also brought on famine because there's basically no <clears throat> order. I mean, we here in the United States, we... Cry when a steak costs $20. I know I do, but over there, they literally have no food to be bought and no money to buy that food with. I mean, the situation in Afghanistan is literally dire.
0: Well, I certainly hope uh, things do begin to improve over there. You know, I have no idea what the future of Afghanistan holds with the Taliban in power. And again, like I'm not I'm not even going to pretend to to act like I understand what that means. Uh, However, over in Michigan, here on our territory, uh, methamil, Methamil has been made a restricted use pesticide Uh, the michigan department of Rural development mdard has restricted public access to methamil the pesticide is most commonly used to control fly infestations around livestock but in recent years it's been illegally used to poison nuisance wildlife across the the state skunks possums and raccoons have been poisoned using methamil mixed with soda several dogs have been inadvertently killed this way as well in 2010 a bald eagle died after feeding on a deer carcass tainted with methamil MDARD says this was likely an attempt to poison wolves. In an undercover operation, state investigators visited 40 agricultural pesticide retailers. 25% of them recommended methamil-based fly bait to kill unwanted mammals. Citing this widespread misuse, MDARD issued an order on Monday that strictly limits the sale and purchase of methamil-based products to licensed vendors and pesticide applicators. When they buy that product, there will be a record they bought it. For, so for someone who intends to misuse it, it could be a deterrent. This is something that we've been keeping an eye on for a long time. Other states are aware of the issue and have taken similar actions with success. So, yes, I'm fairly confident that we will see a good response from this measure. Methamyl-based fly baits won't be available over-the-counter anymore, but MDARD said there are plenty of methamyl-free alternatives. Um, not not surprised to see this here. Uh, Methamyl is another carbaryl, uh, carbamate derivative, yep. uh, like in the same vein of uh, of, of 7 that we Uh used to see. And, um, you know, look, it's hard for me to argue against making something restricted use when they send in investigators to 40 agricultural pesticide retailers and of the 40, 25%, that would be 10 of the 40 recommended, recommended using methamil to kill mammals. Pest, pest mammals. You can't do that. And I get it. I get it. I'm sure they're undercover operation. They sent in some slick talking, you know, hey hillbilly hey sounding what? guy, hey, what do you, you know, think? that fits hey, in. Uh, man, damn it, boy. Listen, hey, I got, <laughs> this, this may or may not be a true story. I may or may not have had a, uh, a coach. I've done some work before in the past. And he was telling me about they used to clean under the bleachers. You know, the birds get real bad under the bleachers, and they just deposit holy hell amounts of, uh, of animal waste there. And it was recommended to him um, to mix, mix up a batch of grape Kool-Aid with something else in it. And, uh, yeah. and he said this is way back in the day. Like, you know, he was out there stirring it with his hand to, to get it mixed up and stuff. Um, oh, man. The next day he came into school and there were pigeons all over the entire campus that were dead. I mean, just thousands and thousands and thousands of pigeons all over campus. And he was freaking out. He did not know what to do. And so he scrambled, picking up all these birds, getting them out of everybody's sight because they were just everywhere. Right. And it was another one of those things where he asked somebody, Hey, what do I do about this situation? And I'm like, Oh, you know, well, you go mix up a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you stir it up, and p- whatever grape Kool Aid pigeons or whatever—I don't know—but it, you know, left an absolute onslaught of of dead animals in the way, and that shit can't go on anymore. Like we've we've grown up beyond that, and if that means something has to be made restricted use to to inhibit that or slow that, it's our own fault. We're shooting ourselves in the foot there, and it's hard at that point, to go point at regulators and be like, you're doing this unfairly. No, that's pretty damn fair. When 25% of retailers are recommending you use this in an illegal fashion.
2: Am I out of line on this? No, and in 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 inhumane fashion because, you know, this, Matt, hits home to me because since the 1980s, Paraquat, in Hawaii has been under that kind of restriction and the reason why Paraquat has been under that kind of restriction is specifically because in the state of Hawaii a lot of disgusting individuals see it fit to misuse Paraquat to poison animals so I get it, okay, I get it and i have been following the story regarding nesamil based fly baits for decades now because i've heard the horrible story of mixing that fly bait product with a soda leaving it out the raccoons the skunks whatever get into it or else you put that fly bait on top of some meat and then you leave it out for the wolves jeez and no i mean that—that that is just horrible but because here's the other thing about doing this now whatever other animal eats that dead animal is subject to poisoning based on the Mesomil residue present in that first animal's carcass, and that's how how the bald eagle died. Is the the poor bald eagle probably ate something that was poisoned with fly bait, and there was enough mesomil in that carcass to drop the bald eagle. And oh, by the way, this is the approximate LD fifty on mesomil. It is, I believe. 10 to 15 milligrams per kilogram for most animals yeah mesomil is uh nasty stuff it is nasty stuff uh i know it as an insecticide for cotton fields and citrus orchards as well but mesimil is not Funny, I mean, methanol will kill you. Well, here's my thing:
1: is there's a couple issues going on here? Is you know, not only are people misusing it, but listen, we see this time and time again in our industry. And I'm, I'll I'll go out on this limb. I'll, I'll I'll die on this hill. Is that Mm -hmm. the providers for some of the uh, products that we use? Right, give piss poor advice borderline illegal mm-hmm. if not illegal advice and that happens way too frequently now in this case it's obviously impacting the people that are using it mm-hmm. and that's something that's it's just sad even my daughter disagrees she thinks it's bs man
2: i get it yeah, well, yeah. i i, I, I get that
1: that's a piece that makes me upset that part of of just well, that, getting that, bad advice regardless or of whether else, you're pro or not
2: yeah you, know, you see I would like to think that sellers of these products would have a measure of ethics and integrity and not advise or promote misuse of the product, especially in a manner that has such widespread effects. I mean, for goodness sakes, we are talking about using this product in a way that harms endangered species for example i mean literally i mean bald eagles the last time i checked uh, they're a protected and endangered species so you allow somebody or you promote somebody utilizing that product to beat animals and bald eagles end up dead never mind other you know, apex predators. I mean, that that's a problem. I mean, that, that is a huge problem. And uh, my goodness, all I'm going to say about this to close is stuff like this is why we cannot have nice things.
0: You're absolutely right. Uh, speaking of not having nice things, the drought in the Western United States could last until 2030, according to the National Geographic here. A uh, searing heat wave in June 2021 made dry conditions across much of the West even worse. The heat and ongoing drought stress rivers like the Colorado, making it harder to keep hydropowers uh, hydropower plants running smoothly. Uh, a little later in the article here it says soil moisture is at historic lows. For millennia, the most certain climate truth of the U.S. West has been that conditions change. A pulse of wet months or years will turn mountainsides and valleys lush green then just as certainly as the dry stretch will parch the green to brown. But understanding what controls variability in its relationship to climate change is critically important to everyone living in the region's boom-bust water cycle. Um, Williams and his colleagues wanted to understand how intense current drought has been compared to past events through the southwest from northern Mexico up to Idaho. In 2020, they published a study that examined 1,200 years of regional drought as recorded by the growth pattern of trees. And it goes through and it kind of shows the chart and all this fun stuff and says, you know, <clears throat> we are in a uh, a pretty big mega drought. But however, there have been other mega droughts in the past. Uh, The most intense one on record from 1575 to 1593. Uh, However, what we see is 2020 and 2021. We're also seeing record breaking heat and even drier weather. So not a good situation going on there. Um, of course, you know, this gets parlayed into the, the talk of climate change. It has supercharged the extreme drought. And then finally, when will the drought end? And basically it's summarized as, I don't know, <laughs> who knows? Maybe we'll recover in a couple of years. Maybe we won't. And if we don't, uh, if we do, when is the next one going to be? And is it going to be even worse uh, because of traditionally uh, of, uh, or observed warming temperatures? It's something to keep an eye on. Um, Again, I don't know enough about this space to speak on it with any sort of intelligence or inside information. But what I can say is that for sure, uh, the drought that is going on out west right now is record breaking. And it is, uh, it's, it's, Ken, we're on the cusp of of a lot of catastrophe out there. There's a ton of farmland out west. I think it would shock people because everybody thinks, you know, out, out west, you either have desert or you have Los Angeles. Right. And, uh, you know, but you, you move into Northern California and, uh, parts of Utah and all kinds of stuff. And you've got a lot of agricultural land out there as well too. And it is not good. We've covered in, uh, past episodes about water restrictions that have taken place in, um, uh, specifically in uh, Utah and stuff because of a lack of rainfall and, uh, You know, who knows how that plays out. It will be interesting to watch because if pressure is continued to be placed on uh, the West, it is another one of those dominoes in the line uh, that could contribute to the situation we're facing now, which is inflation, uh, higher input costs, higher food costs. And, uh, you know, who knows if there's a way out of it or not? Do you have anything to add to that?
2: Well what i what i know about the this whole climate thing is that this is to me part of a prolonged multi-decadal cycle i cannot get excited about climate change when evidence actual you know non-biased evidence presents especially the west coast going through cycles that last multiple decades that alternate between drier weather and cooler wetter weather weather and these cycles have been going on since before the industrial revolution so we're not the cause of it we're not the contributors of it i mean for goodness sakes uh, Even me being in Hawaii, I'm part of that entire weather pattern of alternating decades of cooler weather and warmer weather. So when I hear about climate change and the implications of putting this all on climate change and what some people advocate, doing to address climate change, I consider that immediately a non-starter because bottom line is, is the people that talk about climate change basically want you, but not them, to give up civilization in the name of altering climate change.
0: And again, I you know I'm not educated enough on this to have a valid opinion one way or another. I, I will say that I'm skeptical of all things, and uh, and you know it would encourage me to dive deeper into it. Um, I don't like to be told you know to you know think one way or the other without without doing a significant amount of due diligence on my part. And to this point, I have not done the due diligence, so therefore I don't feel. Uh, justified in having a real opinion on this one way or another. But um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, especially especially if this drought in the Western United States continue to last until 2030. Um, and, uh, and we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, speaking of another domino in the proverbial uh, end of times doomsday type of scenario, uh, glyphosate has filed a force uh, majeure because of a supplier manufacturing problem. Bayer's is alerting retail partners that the company may not be able to fill some glyphosate contracts this spring due to a supplier's manufacturing problem. According to a letter sent from the company that DTN has obtained, Bayer is declaring this a force majeure event, a term used to describe an uncontrollable event that prevents a party from f- fulfilling a contract. The situation could leave some farmers who are awaiting glyphosate deliveries on shaky ground. The letters sent out last week are signed by Udo Schneider, global head of active ingredient manufacturing from Bayer. Uh, They state an undeclosed supplier of key raw material for glyphosate production experienced a mechanical failure at its manufacturing plant. As of now, given the supplier notification, we expect repairs to this production line to take around three months as a result of the force majeure, uh, Bayer's ability to supply customers with glyphosate, and glyphosate-containing products, is agreed upon, and certain agreements are under accepted purchase orders, has been impacted. So here we go. We were already in tight supply because of reduced exports uh, coming from China, with, and you know a lot of that had to do with. Uh, uh, the environmental cleanup that was going on with the Olympics, uh, a lot of it had to do as a giant FU to the, uh, the trade war that we were involved with or that is the tariff war that's still kind of ongoing in some form or fashion. And uh, and now this happens. And uh, Demay, you said you don't like to play in the conspiracy world. I love that space. And, uh, and this to me, I, I've got to say, and I think as we, especially as we get into the next, um, uh, uh, well, on on a a little bit later, maybe not, not today, but coming up, we're going to be talking about another force majeure in the, uh, in the same space here. I can't help but think, I can't help but think something sneaky is going on here.
1: Yeah. I would bet a significant amount of money that this is not coincidental. This is not uh, one of those things where you look at, oh, you know, just bad timing, whatever, you know, just a few months, have everything figured out. Uh, this one stinks. I mean, it flat out stinks for a variety of reasons, uh, right? Mainly because, uh, you know, the, the you're, there's several things. Factors at play, right? So, like, number one, the timing of it. Number two, the "quote unquote" expected shutdown, right, of three months, right? So they're trying to set some expectations there, and then just the ripple effect that this article doesn't even really talk about, right? Because the, the, that's the that's really like you know the sort of the uh what, what I don't want to call it, this the, uh, the the blast wave, the shock wave that comes out from this is. You know, who cares for a second about us, you know, in turf wanting to spray, you know, some uh, glyphosate here around, you know, some vegetation control or something like that. Like this is going to have a major impact, right, as it's starting to be felt in agriculture and especially in the northern hemisphere where we're going to need this stuff, you know, from an agricultural production standpoint in the next six months.
2: I don't know. What do you think? Well, what I think is, uh, yeah, this is uh, a case of suspicious timing, indeed. And I, I keep on hearing this quote that, and applying it to various situations. And I'm just like Matt, because the quote that keeps on replaying in my head is, never let a crisis go to waste. Okay. I I keep on hearing that. And uh for me that quote just diminishes my faith in mankind tremendously. Because you know what the the bottom line of that quote is? People suck. People just suck. They're dirt bags. They're they're all trash.
1: Well, and, and what you know? Here's the thing. I think that if there's anything that this whole episode in history has taught us, right, is that there's always been sort of safe, right, in place that would say that, well, hey, well, well, we couldn't do that, right? We 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 better mm-hmm. not do that. We better not let that happen, and we'll do everything that we can. And I I truly believe, right in the in this age of. Uh, New age of uh, corporate social responsibility. I don't know that that same uh, determination to do the right thing, to make everything happen the way that it should, and be honest with people. I think that's I think that's out the window for right now, boys. I just do.
2: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It,
0: all right. And here I want I want to make this point clear too. I there's one thing I understand from a manufacturing perspective is that if you lose a key piece of equipment. Um, lead times right now are at all time highs. There's no doubt about it. Uh, like for instance, uh, I could tell you that if you want a 500,000 kilovolt hour, 1500 kilovolt hour transformer, your delay on that is going to be, you know, f- uh, uh, three to nine months, depending on where you are in the country and what particular size you need. So that's, that's pretty significant, but here's the thing. Bayer at, the, the the types of manufacturing contracts that Bayer has, arguably one of the largest manufacturers globally. Um how the hell do you not have redundancy after redundancy after oh, redundancy yeah. after redundancy built into this? They're not a chip manufacturer, they're not relying on computer chips out of Taiwan, um, you know, like like which ground to a halt, uh car production, right? But even then, you still found ways for that to get, you know, like a lot of Japanese automobiles were continuing to roll on. Why? Because there's a lot of redundancy in there and there's a a way to be able to recycle a lot of those in certain scenarios and capacities, right? However, here in this particular instance, we've got a three-month shutdown and they talk a little bit about this here that Um, our suppliers on track to restore production. We've sourced additional materials and made other mitigation efforts to help best the situation. However, we're shut down for three months. We expect to still be back on pace by the end of the year, but when it's most critical for us to need it, we're going to be behind for three months. So they're going to ramp up production supposedly by the end of the year, where they'll be good for next year. However, for this year, it's all foobard. It stinks to Holy hell. Um, and I, I just find it incredibly convenient, incredibly convenient that someone of this size could fall on this type of scenario. And people are going to point the picture and say, well, Bayer's an evil company. I don't know if this is in Bayer's hand because how much actual manufacturing does Bayer do? Very little. All of this is contracted out to other countries, right? So you're going to have manufacturing take place in India. You're going to have manufacturing take place in China. The overwhelming majority of actual active ingredient manufacturing for Bayer, uh, and and by overwhelming majority, I mean like 99% of it is going to take place in China. Formulation and bottling is going to take place at point of sale, right? So it's being sold in the United States, it's being formulated with the cancer surfactants, sh- shelf stability agents, whatever takes place in the United States, bottled here, sold here, right? However, when they're actually doing your glycine and, and phosphate reactions, whatever to produce the actual glyphosate molecule, a lot of that is taking place actually in, in China. So is this out of control? Is this out of Bayer's control for this to happen? There's a very real possibility that that is happening. And the fact in the history that has already kind of uh, played out to this point with with China and, and their stance on anything related to the U.S. agrochemical space, again, shortages on uh, anything that ends in a glufosinate, uh, uh, glyphosate, simazine, atrazine, prodiamine, Already in short supply, and basically China saying, "Yeah, go f yourself. Uh, we're 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 going to give you what we give you, and, and you know you'll have to bend over and take it." Um, <laughs> Bayer may also be a victim of this as well, and uh, and I don't want to paint you know Bayer or Monsanto as some sort of like beacon of uh, a. a a, you know, some upstanding, high quality, just top of the line, corporate structure or whatever, <laughs> like we should all ad- admire them and strive to be like them in our personal lives. I'm not saying that at all. Um, it like at, at all, I'm no more of a fan of, of, you know, what they do to the marketplace than anybody else is, but we do rely on glyphosate. it does serve a very real purpose in maintaining, uh, the livelihoods of, of Americans and, and, and humans around the world, more importantly, humans around the world and limiting supply of glyphosate by whoever's manufacturing the active ingredient is causing real harm to humans around the world. Uh, should it cause a major disruption in food supply? Gentlemen, we have a new sponsor this week and I had a look, look, LTK, Trucking and Freight, our very own Telly Coleman here, LTK Trucking and Freight. Uh, I want to give uh. a real world example of what what happened to me. Uh, I don't think I've been too quiet about it, but we had to listen. For years, we've been trying to move the business to Tennessee. We finally moved the business to Tennessee and it turned into a disaster. Um, But we we got all the fine details worked out and we needed in a pinch a lot of material moved. Like we needed... 14 tractor trailer loads of material moved quick like and I called Telly and I was like Telly man I need I'm in a pinch I need some help and he's like dude this is no big deal I worked with him I worked with his wife incredibly professional unbelievable pricing and you know what in 3 days we got those 14 tractor trailer loads moved in 3 days 14 tractor trailer loads of material moved unbelievable experience if anybody out there is in need of trucking or freight moving from point A to B, um, whether it's on the road or lo- local stuff to Tennessee, dude, I'm telling you right now, LTK Trucking and Freight, 844-616-4460. Telly, thank you for everything you do for the show, and uh, thank you for uh, helping me out with uh, with my business. Also, the patrons, thank you for all you do in allowing us to continue to uh, come up here and act a fool like we do. Um, you know, for the cost of an airport beer, you can check it out. We've got multiple tiers here. If you can afford it, feel free to chip in. If you can't, don't worry about it. We're not going to be mad at you. It's just an, an option for people that want to do more, want more private access, uh, want access to, to merch that will never see the light of day, uh, like our Ray and the lawn lizard shirts, which by the way, were just absolutely stunning and fantastic. Um, or the next one coming up with the, with the death van, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you if you're into that kind of thing if you want more check it out <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash burn and return gentlemen let's check out this week's burns ah!
2: Ah! Ah! Ah!
0: that's what's going on in Deme's brain right now after day drinking <laughs>
1: Ooh, ooh, I felt that. <laughs> Took a minute to catch up, but <laughs>
0: See, part, pardon me. I I had to cough the sheila out of my lungs there. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, this headline here, I gotta say, you know, a, a a lot of the stuff we've been covering to this point, like, it gets me it gets me into a real serious state of mind, like oh man yeah that happens these are some potential outcomes you know i'm i'm it's it's an internal dialogue and mapping that takes place right um however this one right here is one of the one of the age old uh your lawn sucks you are what's wrong with the world type of thing that just absolutely pisses me off to no end and Coming right here out of Colorado, tired of mowing your lawn, Colorado could pay you $2 a square foot to rip it out. A bill would expand grass buyouts statewide and double local payments. Uh, Colorado would expand grass turf buyouts statewide and double existing city rip and replace programs in a bill aimed at solving misuse of precious water during the state's long-term drought. The bipartisan bill would create a $2 million to $4 million annual pool from general fund money to pay homeowners, businesses, or any other landlords willing to replace thirsty bluegrass on lawns, road medians, highway ditches, and other places of decorative greens or draining state reservoirs. Ugh. Most current turf buyout. Uh, <laughs> this is a bipartisan approach, too. I don't want anybody to make this political. It's not. This is this is proof that it, it it's not one side or the other. They're all out yep. to get you. Um, most current turf buyout programs in Colorado pay $1 per square foot to replace grass with drought-friendly alternatives, and they cover only about 25% of the population. The turf buyout bill would match local spending to increase the buyouts to $2 a square foot and bring a dollar a square foot buyouts to the other 75% of the state living without a buyout option, sponsors and environmental backers said. No one has a picnic on the strip of grass in the median at a shopping mall. So let's replace it with something else. This is all part of a strategy to make Colorado landscapes more water efficient. And uh, and so we think a statewide turf buyback program is one of the great ways to do that. There's a growing recognition that we have to reduce the amount of irrigated turf we have and growing recognition that while some turf is definitely beneficial, parks, sport fields, and parts of, of people's yards, we all know that a lot of turf doesn't get used. Um, so anyway, we'll go through that. And yes, no doubt about it. There are areas where certain areas where it doesn't make sense to install irrigated turf. But to pretend to pretend like plants are in, uh, in what and someone explained this to me, and this is what what wasn't really covered here. When they're talking about a rip and replace, what are you replacing it with? Are you replacing it with landscape rocks, riprap, um, uh, artificial turf, or are you replacing it with like little blue stem? Or some other native grass, a buffalo grass. I don't know what is being what is being put in in place of.
1: I'm gonna have to find out bluegrass, that's a, as they say yeah, here.
2: Yeah, that, that's a good question, because uh, I personally am a fan of only having turf grass in places where it's going to serve a, a utility function and it's not going to become a maintenance nightmare so you know i i can kind of see where colorado's going with this because by the way yesterday morning matt i had a real pisser offer i had a total pisser offer what happened i was trying to trim an edge an area of grass that was literally right next to a storm drain. And I'm thinking, I don't even want the grass clippings to go down this storm drain. So why the fuck do I have a lawn next to a storm drain? Why?
0: It's a good point. And you you bring up a great point, you know, that... You, you know install turf grass where turf grass is needed my fear my fear is that they rip this out and they put down rocks um or uh, 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 uh artificial turf right and again going back to if we are truly being environmentally conscious and and I, i'm i'm all for smarter water usage i'm going to make that very clear i think that's a, a, a positive thing that we should all mm-hmm. be cognizant yeah. of um however However, if we're installing a bunch of non-growing, non photosynthesizing, uh, uh, inanimate things in its place, we are causing more harm to the environment by doing that. Um, what, what was it? And I, I hate to even go down this this wormhole, but this is you know utilizing their own their, the the message against themselves is um, if we increased. Organic matter by point seven percent across all soils around the globe, uh, that it would undo uh, all of the the uh, uh, carbon output and undo the undo climate change. I, and I believe that was how that was structured into the right. Paris Accord. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that's how it was written in the in the Paris Accord. I think if we if we raise organic matter levels across the globe by it, it was either like one percent or 0.7 percent it was it was it's a relatively obtainable level um, that we could undo uh, uh, global warming. Case, my my point being with that my point being with that is that if we're going to rip out plants and not replace them with plants, then we are contributing to the problem because by having exposed soil, even if we're covering it with rocks, CO2 loss is still a thing. Uh, A a decline in soil organic matter is a given. You cannot stop it by by covering bare ground with rocks. Plants need to be in its place. Something that photosynthesizes that is taking oxygen, uh, that is taking carbon dioxide out of the oxygen and storing it in the soil. So, And I
2: hope
0: I mm -hmm. I was just going to say, I hope that if they are doing a rip and replace, they're doing a rip and replace with plants. That would make sense to me.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I don't know the details myself, but the thing that would make the most sense for me and what I always advocate for personally is I tell people as much as possible plant vegetation and ground covers that requires minimal to no further maintenance of any kind once that ground cover or vegetation has been established. I mean, I, I, I harp on that. I say, you take out this unmaintainable, impractical turf grass and you replace it with vegetation that you plant it, you let it grow, it looks attractive, and you don't have to do jack beans to it. It just grows because here's the other piece of you know carbon and uh climate change, et cetera, et cetera, is that if you have areas with a high carbon footprint, guess what you're not actually accomplishing anything you're making a problem rather than solving a problem
0: i was gonna see if um i could find specifically the quote i, I cannot but if you if you it, with with enough time i can go through this and, and find it did you find it Demay?
1: i didn't find the quote i i, I mean they are using other other plant materials right so other xeriscape like low water type materials for the most part is what they're what mm-hmm. what they're recommending. So I mean uh, I think in this case it, it can be of benefit but I think identifying what those areas are and are not. And I'm glad they called out parks and sports fields and things like that because yeah, like there is a, you can't just get rid of all of it, right? And I think this just goes back to you know, we need to have better design in all of these spaces, right? Do we need to have uh you know, beautiful lawn, tr- you know, uh, tree lawns and things like that at the, uh, the local Safeway? Eh, probably not. No, Right. no, probably get no, away with it. No,
2: no, actually. And that's an example of, because the other thing that I know I saw last year that just, you know, had me in a tizzy is at my local Lowe's parking lot imagine having one and a half to two foot wide strips of grass on these raised medians delineating Mm -hmm. each parking stall and oh gosh do you know no yeah yeah and wait ryan do you know what actually triggered me even more is Uh, i can't imagine this these grass areas are literally raised above grade so if there's any water all the water will run off and i had seen that uh all of these grass strips were just fertilized by the maintenance contractor because i essentially saw about about five pounds per thousand Uh. square foot of granule all on top of there so that it's just waiting for the next time for it to rain so all that nitrogen and phosphorus can run off into the waterways. Never mind uh, the poor, uh, the poor son of a bitches that have to string trim every square inch of that every week. Okay, so
1: the only thing I'm going to say here, real quick, before we wrap this part up, is just this is the kind of stuff where there is this is the stuff that grinds my gears, right, Mm-hmm. Matt Martin, right, you know. This is the stuff where there is a supreme disconnect between the intended use right, of these particular plants and these situations and these designs, and then it gets all fouled up when somebody tries to take over maintenance of it, whether it be a professional, whether it be a homeowner or otherwise, right? The the left hand's not talking to the right hand, and this, that's right, you look at it right there, I got Mm -hmm. it. Uh, but, on, but honestly, that is the part where, okay, just because we do this, right. Just because we get the $2 a square foot, we put this stuff in, if we don't manage and maintain it right, are we better off, right? If we have piss poor growing plants out there in these spaces and they're not rooting in deeply and they're not, uh, filtering, uh, nutrients and other contaminants that come through the soil. Like, are we, are we realizing the same benefit? All I'm saying is it's just that, that there's checking the box is the thing that pisses me off that people think that anything that we do in horticulture or agriculture is just checking the box and that makes it fine it's a living breathing thing it needs to be managed it needs to be taken care of and if it's the you know a, a piss poor choice for the space you can never manage and maintain it right and conversely if it's the best thing for the space and you don't manage and maintain it right it doesn't mean a goddamn thing so right. that that's okay that, that's all you got to say on that so but the Let's landscape architect
0: pr- the landscape oh, architect start. installed all these great myrtles and and mounded them with with four tons of of smooth river rock for everyone in lieu of you mulch stop. we're going to do four tons of river stop. rock because it's highly effective you don't know what you're <laughs> talking about because i'm a landscape architect you start with me. are the lawn boy don't
2: start with how many times have
0: you heard that how many times have you heard that right, i know right, that shit gets in up. your crawl doesn't it
2: Oh and by the way uh you think the environmentalists uh, have a problem with me? Do you know who likes me even less, Matt?
0: Uh oh, I was going to say master gardeners and uh landscape architects.
2: Yes, correct sir, correct. Uh, landscape architects uh despise me because uh I then proceed to give each and every one of them uh, the royal ass chewing for doing what I call the misuse of turf grass. Okay. I call it turf grass misuse when you place turf grass in situations where one, it's not maintainable, and two, it stands the snowball's chance in hell of thriving without minimal intervention. In other words, Ryan, uh, Man. Grandma had her surgery effed up, and she's going straight to hospice, and she's has less than a year to live. Oh boy! <laughs> mm-hmm. All I know is whenever
1: somebody whenever somebody calls me the lawn boy like that, and tries to use it as a pejorative, <laughs> I flip the script on them, and I hand them a signed copy by Matt Martin of the Lawn Boy novel, and say, "Read this." <laughs> and I say, "In a painting of are you, FTP." I, I, I no, that's right. And I asked them. I said, "Are you acquainted with our Lord and Savior, the Grass Factor?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, gentlemen, one in three Americans have detectable levels of toxic weed killer. Study finds, and uh, but guess it was not on the list. Landscape architects, because they're not the lawn boy. Uh, human exposure to 24D <laughs> has substantially risen, despite a multitude of health and environmental concerns. One in three people across America have detectable levels of a toxic herbicide linked to cancers, birth defects, hormonal imbalances, and a a major nationwide survey found. Human exposure to the herbicide 2,4-D has substantially risen amid expanding use among farmers, despite a multitude of health and environmental concerns, according to the first nationally representative study evaluating the footprint of the chemical Uh, the herbicide was developed in the mid-1940s and quickly became the go-to weed killer for farmers focused on increasing crop yields while also gaining popularity among gardeners looking for a pristine lawn its popularity dipped in favor of roundup and genetically modified cotton and soybean resistant to the herbicide but it has seen a resurgence since the spread of roundup resistant weeds 24d is currently riding high thanks to the whack-a-mole approach to pest control in industrialized farming with about 600 U.S. and agricultural resident pro- uh, residential products now containing the chemical, which can be ingested through the skin, mouth, and nose. Researchers from GWU examined the urine samples of 14,395 people, aged 6 and older, from all walks of life, who take part in the annual National Health and Nutritional uh, Nutrition Examination Survey. They look for biomarkers for to the pesticide and compare the exposure levels detected with the use of 2,4-D 2, from 2001 to 2014. As the pesticide grew in popularity among farmers and gardeners, so did evidence of human exposure rising from a low of 17% in 2001 uh, to a high of almost 40% a decade later. And then they tie in Agent Orange, uh, and that is, uh, it drives, chaps my ass. And real quick, before I continue on on this, Agent Orange, the the part of Agent Orange is uh, 245T. Um, the manufacturing of 245T produced a byproduct that caused a horrific amount of harm to people who were using it, people that were accidentally sprayed by it. Um, it was a and that byproduct of the manufacture of it was a nasty, nasty, nasty thing that affected families, uh, that affected people, then affected families. Uh, when when they came back from war and will continue to affect people for generations to come. It was not the 2,4-D component of that. It was the byproduct of the manufacturer of 245 t Be cognizant of that when you read these types of articles because here they say exposure to high levels of 2,4-D, an ingredient of Agent Orange used against civilians during the Vietnam War has been linked to cancers and leukemia and children's birth defects, reproductive problems, among other health issues. again, they're correlating 24d to 245t, uh, and that is that is not the case. Um, and then it ends like this: Our study suggests human exposures to 24d have gone up significantly, and they are predicted to rise even more in the future, given the potential um, for human environmental health impacts for such widespread exposures. We believe increases in use and exposures are not the direction to be going. Um, I have a theory on this: Why 24d uh, exposure? is probably greater than it should be. Um, and I think part of that falls into education. And then the other part of that is uh, the inability to adhere to a label. Uh, case in point is that you are limited to two applications of 24 D containing product per year. My question is, is how widespread is that known throughout the industry, whether that be agriculture or uh, lawn care and two, even if it is known, how well is that adhered to? And I I hate to say it, but if evidence points to the fact that that portion of the label is continually violated, is 2,4-D another candidate for restricted use only? I don't know. I'm putting it out there. Um, it's not my favorite uh, idea or, or topic to even discuss. But again, I bring it up because how much of this parlays into uh inability to follow the label uh or a genuine uh a, a lack or uh, a lack thereof of of initiative to become educated on the herbicide people are choosing to use use
2: matt, matt uh here's my conversation with a lot of people in the lawn space because i am the gadfly i am the asshole. And the reason why I'm the asshole is, when possible, I always advocate for alternative practices to constantly and regularly applying 2,4-D-based herbicides to a lawn area. I mean, they tell me, oh, Ray, that is just so expensive. Why would I do that when... uh Three way is literally pennies per thousand square feet. Why would I want to do that? Uh, because I say my foundation for broadleaf weed control in turf spaces, especially turf spaces that are heavily used by either humans or companion animals, is based on number one, isoxabin. And number two, because I can, because I'm in a cool season mar- I'm not in a cool season market, I'm in a warm season market, I lean towards products such as Celsius and MSM to perform my broadleaf weed control. My go-to is not constant and regular applications of three-way, which often contains large amounts of (laughs) 2,4-D. There, I said it. And here's
0: what one thing from the study, and I haven't gone through this with a fine tooth comb um, <clears throat> is not necessarily the uh, urinary concentrations are increasing, however, the number of people with uh, with detectable levels in urine and at here we're talking about point four parts per billion. 0.4 parts per billion. so we have not crossed the threshold sorry, I had to clear my throat. We have not crossed the threshold there, uh, into, you know, what would be considered harmful levels of exposure. So we're within the, uh, uh, the EPA, um, uh, levels of exposure. However, you know, it, it is, it's a trend and it must be looked at and it must be considered. And, uh, I don't think this is something you can hide from and pretend like it's, it's just going to go away or get better. Um, the good news is exposure is still extremely low. Um, the bad news is is that the number of cases of exposure, even though the detectable levels are low, um, the number of cases in general are high. DeMay, you're a voice of reason. What's your reason?
1: <laughs> I mean, number one, I, I agree with what Ray is saying. I think that there's very limited use cases nowadays for the most part for us to be even considering 2,4-D, right? It, and it, it's it's hard because it is pervasive in a lot of the basic three-way products that we use, all that. But for the reasons that you stated, right, about the uh, annual application limit and that sort of thing, plus the fact that, hey, you know, kind of what Ray was pointing out is that there are better choices, generally speaking, uh, depending on what uh, type of weeds you're going to control.
2: Ryan. Yeah. And for the... Lawn operators in the cool season market, my God, those guys have some awesome choices because mm-hmm. what what do I always lean into for the cool season guys? They say, if you got broadleaf weeds emerged, you can unleash triclopyr on them. You can use fluorocipyr on them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you can do that kind of stuff. And the thing is, is that, triclopyr and fluroxypyr are literally considered reduced risk the the epa for example does not track fluroxypyr or triclopyr levels in people's urine or blood because they do not consider it on the same level of human health hazard as say 2,4-d and on top of that for a lot of weeds Especially in the cool season areas, those weeds happen to be more susceptible to the alternative products versus 2,4-D, because here's what I know about 2,4-D. It was a breakthrough product when it was first introduced to the market in 1945. Mm -hmm. It was good at its time, however... I don't consider two four D to be like the ultimate answer to where you know you just gotta have that two four D. I mean, the only thing that is in two four D's favor right now is its cost per acre. That's the only thing that puts it in it, you know, in a favorable light. Otherwise, like for myself, I know that. For example in a cool season market triclopyr uh, fluoroxypyr and a couple of the newer chemistries that are coming into the market can do a lot of what 24d you know has been promoted to do and it does it i guess without the same issues and baggage because, like I've told all the listeners and anybody that asks me is, I think very hard, for example, about making a two four d application to a lawn that is the home of a comp- of a companion animal, like if my customer tells me, "Oh uh, my dog and my cat uh they kind of live in the backyard i Really re my weed control program, for example.
1: And I think that's all, you know, if, if this highlights anything for folks in our industry is that, again, just just think about a little bit of how you're choosing the products that are going into your programs and the why. Like, you know, I, uh, I can't sit up here and explain the why. I'm not qualified to do that. There's only <laughs> one person that is. But uh, I it think it's something us. that we all... No. There's a yeah. There's a YouTube channel though for you just type it.
2: <laughs> in. How do we
1: How do we find that? Oh, we'll make him a sponsor next week.
2: Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. We
1: well, there we There
2: we go. go. We should. Yeah, or, or or we're gonna get him on the show, Matt. We're gonna get it. Oh, god, the yeah. There we go. And and and, and, and that there way he down. can he can, yeah. And that way he can educate all of us as to the the why. All right. I mean, we we need education. We're a bunch of uneducated fanatics. <laughs> Speaking I of uneducated case, fanatics,
0: <laughs> uh gentlemen, let's discuss this week's returns.
2: <laughs>
0: that was me this morning when i woke up actually la 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 The octave I'm speaking on right now was the same one as that slowed down I'm back, which actually is my voice, but it is slowed down and and pitched down. Uh, Interesting how that that works. Uh, We've got one because there's just no time for good news in this space, and it is the U.S. robotic lawnmower market to reach $704.55 million by 2027. Smart robotic lawnmowers to grow at the highest CAC, uh, CAGR during the period. Uh, the U.S. robotic lawnmowers market is expected to reach 1,140.9 1, thousand units, uh, which would be over a million units by 2027. That is pretty impressive. And uh, there's, there's a lot that's kind of highlighted here that we could go through, but I'm, I'm not. Uh, it does appear to be that Husqvarna is leading the way. Um, mean Green products continues to kind of show up, and I believe they're the ones that sold X number of units already. But uh, I'm not sure how many of their units I've actually seen out in the field. But you do regularly see Husqvarna; there's no doubt about it. And uh, Husqvarna is, is uh, uh, certainly seems to be the the pioneer in this space. That being said, why is is this return? Because again, I think this you know parlays into uh, hopefully less less incidents and accidents while out, out in the world, right? Um, you know, we saw where, uh, who, who was it? Uh, it? There was a young boy, uh, a lawnmower had hit yeah. a piece of rebar and sent fly wow. and it flying in and it went right into the kid's skull, you know? And, you, you know, is, you? I mean, you, you want to talk about, like, where you could get into a, a wormhole of wormholes. It's, you know, trying to measure the... Uh, carbon impact or environmental impact of mining, you know, metals to, to produce these batteries and all this fun stuff. I'm not even going to go at it from the environmental uh, aspect. I'm, I'll strictly stay in the lane of safety from a safety perspective um, in theory. And so far in practice, it does seem to be that you're less likely to run into uh, a a significant incident By having these roam around the neighborhood rather than, uh, you know, a a, a guy on a, you know, 60 horsepower diesel lawnmower that's capable of launching a piece of of rebar 100 yards at, you know, 500 feet per second.
1: So, I don't know. I thought I'd throw that out there. Listen, I, I think these things, and I know Ray might disagree, but I believe that there is an extremely promising future with these, Right. The work that's been done so far shows that the quality uh, of, of turf that are taken care of by these machines is is appreciably better, right? The data is bearing that out. And I think, you know, obviously there's some hurdles to overcome from a practicality standpoint in certain situations, but there's already a lot of places and spaces that you could turn these things loose and they could just take care of things for you. So I think it's good that it's expanding. I think the the big thing uh, for us as an industry is to realize this and not be, uh, you know, don't end up like the the goddamn uh, blockbuster video uh, and just say, oh, this is never going to do anything. It's not the, like embrace this shit. If you're listening and you're in lawn care or if you're in sports turf, if you're in golf, embrace this shit because it will be the future and you will either have your arms around it and be able to use it and uh, and apply it and uh, make it work for you or you probably will get squeezed out, right? Ray, what do you think? I know, I know you have a strong take on this.
2: No, here's my take on it, is if in fact we're going in this direction, then we as the industry then will need to start promoting grasses that are ideally maintained by this type of mower. Because, for example, here's the report that I got from the field in real life robotic mowers are a big lose on zoysia grass they just don't do well conversely i know that for high cut bermuda and st augustine for example a robotic mower can work but again this is a case of not just checking off a box, as you like to say, Ryan, but making sure that everything actually fits and everything's been thought out. I mean, that's all I, uh, that's all, that's my pos- actual position on it is think it through, make sure it works, and make sure that it doesn't create a new problem.
0: And I, you know, again, we're, we're scratching the surface on this. And, you know, I would say just like in, in all aspects of life where, uh, you know, I, it's, it's difficult to take a rigid approach to this, right? There has to be flexibility mm-hmm. in all things. And, and if there's anything you've taught me, Demay, it's to to be to be more flexible in in the way i look at things and you know it would be like it's not working appropriate response (laughs) is the appropriate it's not um but it feels good to at least consider it from time to time right i I can at least pretend like yeah and then then as soon as i turn off the computer
1: (laughs) yeah and then you unloaded an entire uh five rounds of shotgun shells right into that idea and it's gone <laughs> Just all over the floor right there
0: it's considered which is a monumental change for
1: me it is uh, it is the, 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 yes, that that yes baby steps. yeah i i appreciate it you're 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 uh you're well on your way to being elected to political office someday matt i can assure you that
0: i can assure you that's not the case too but um you know a, a case in point is that you know I fear one day that the response is going to be ban all gas powered mowers, only robots, oh, nobody's allowed to yeah. operate a mower. Um and, and and I think that approach is no good. And particularly like, you know, there's validity to what, what Ray is saying that there's gonna be certain grass types that just don't respond well to it, because anybody that's ever even pushed a spreader through zoysia grass, let me tell you, there is no worse feeling than pushing an 80-pound spreader through a four-inch-tall zoysia grass lawn. And I have treated acres and acres and acres of grass with a go push spreader on four-inch-tall zoysia grass. And after about your second 30-foot pass, you're ready to go play in traffic uh, or lay down in front of a train, train wheel, either or. They, they would both lead to the same ending, and both of them would be equally as pleasurable after attempting to fertilize zoysia grass with a push spreader it's a terrible experience so i could see matt, where a mower of that caliper would not be happy in that situation
2: and matt here's the thing is that i never have had that experience of having to treat four inch tall zoysia because typically my zoysia is between a half an inch and five eighths of an inch however well, ray
0: i'm gonna argue you've never so, lived until you've done that
2: <laughs> however the deal is is that that zoysia grass is also kept at what i consider an appropriate density and height of cut sure. and that is and that is where unfortunately until somebody can robotize my gm1000 i'm not sure that a robot can perform the same I have my doubts. (laughs) I think there's going
1: to be limitations, but I think the whole point is to get to what is the baseline level that we need to be at and then ascend from there.
2: However, I'm also an advocate of getting rid of zoysia as a turf grass, just getting rid of it. Oh, Ray,
0: careful, careful.
2: Because it presents so many maintenance issues.
0: Are we talking about Zoja you know, or are we talking about centipede? Because, rain, Actually, I love Matt, me some zoysia grass.
2: Okay, here's the thing, is that centipede tends to self-select out of areas where it doesn't belong. Okay? Sure. It tends to self, self-select out. On the other hand, zoysia will exist in places where... It is not ideally maintained and it looks like ass while it's existing. Whereas Zoisha Zoys- where Centipede Whereas Centipede, ahead. if it's if it's in the wrong place, it just dies. It's over. I get it. <laughs> you heard it okay, here it first
0: did. on Burn and Return. Uh Ray just declared Zoja is indeed the Alphagrass of Alpha Grass. Uh, gentlemen, let's check out this week's mailbag.
1: You've got yeah. mail.
0: Uh, This one is from Frank. Frank said, good evening, gentlemen. I have a few questions regarding a PGR with my 3000 square foot tall fescue Kentucky bluegrass mix and a thousand square foot of Kentucky bluegrass mono stand. I'm going to try a new this spring. Do you have any advice for a first time user outside of what's on the label? Also, how does a new affect the use of herbicides and, and fungicides or use those as you would normally? I also assume I would begin the applications in the spring and have it coming out of suppression just before the stress of summer's heat and being i'm trying to limit top growth do i still follow normal in applications or throttle that back too? sorry for the long email but i value y'all's advice and recommendations thank you for taking the time and god bless um gentlemen we covered this what episode was that when we did a pretty deep dive
1: we've talked a lot about it we've talked a lot about this we've done done a lot of episodes
0: (laughs) i know uh and i'm trying to remember what it was a. I believe it was on a Thursday Thursday when we did an extremely deep dive into Paul uh, growth regulators. Uh, Paul Outlaw, I guess Outlaw we did, was one. We did with Paul Outlaw was one. Um,
2: uh, Oldie Pool, Oldie Pool's another one, and then uh, I think, believe we was did, it did Mr. An- Ferguson. And with and with Mr. Ferguson, and also we did, uh, I believe Polo Fields too. We talked about PGRs on turf-type mm-hmm. tall fescue. Yeah, all, all of the guys growing turf-type tall fescue in the transition zone, I believe the subject of conversation on the shows has been leveraging PGRs to optimize turf health in those situations. So,
0: uh, Frank, I would refer you back to that because we have done incredibly deep dives on this way more than we can get into and in just answering this question here. Um, and I would probably start with the Paul Outlaw episode because I think that is probably one of the ones where we went the deepest on it just because, um, you know, Paul, I would say Paul arguably has more experience on with a new on cool season grass than a lot of people do. So uh, be sure to check that out. Gentlemen, it has been real Let's jump over to the show after the show where we can join our co-producers and uh, and other patrons and help come up with this week's title. Love you all. We'll catch you all on the flip side.